Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. Uh, so, you know, I just said thank you, Pastor Jeremy, and I just said how excited I was about preaching a sermon series, because one of my least favorite things to do is, like, figure out exactly what I'm preaching about on Sunday. I wrestle, like, the whole week. So when Pastor Jeremy was said, okay, we're doing a sermon series all summer, uh, it's going to be good, I'm assigning everyone verses, and then you'll just, like, write your sermon from the verse that I give you, I was stoked about it. I was like, this is going to be great, I don't have to think about it. And then I said, hey, Pastor Jeremy, what am I preaching on? And he said, well, why don't you flip to, uh, why don't you flip to 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18 to 27. And so I did that, and I read the headline, and the headline is, Warning Concerning Antichrists. Now that is not the sermon that you want to be assigned on a Sunday morning. I think he did it because he didn't want to preach about it. Um, so I don't know if I'd rather wrestle through or, or preach about Antichrist, but I have the pleasure of being able to do that today. So if you have a Bible, if you'd turn with me to 1 John 2, 18 to 27, we're just going to read straight through this, and then we'll dig in. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here, and we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that when we come across uh, verses and chapters in the Bible that we're not really sure about, that you have uh, a clear uh, picture in mind, God, and that, that nothing that we go through in our world is a surprise to you. And so, God, we thank you that your word is living and is active. We thank you, God, that you foresaw what would be happening today and that you gave us your word to be able to speak into it. God, I pray for every heart and every person that is here today that we would be open to who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I don't have a title today either, uh, but I was workshopping a few titles with Pastor Jeremy. So Pastor Brett's sermon title today is The Antichrist and the End Times. So it's kind of like a little bit clickbaity. I thought I would go even further, and my title would be Am I the Antichrist? But I decided not to go with that because I don't want to sow any doubt into anyone's mind. Uh, so that is not the title. Today is no name. It's just called 1 John 2, 18-27. Um, so that no one's confused. But anyone who's grown up in a Pentecostal, in Pentecostal circles, or maybe it's not just Pentecostal circles, maybe it's all Christian circles, uh, have experienced those times where you're talking to someone, I don't want to 
don't want to target anyone, but usually it's a baby boomer who loves to talk about the end times, right? We've all been there, and if you haven't been there, you're probably one of the people who's talking about the end times. Uh, so we've all heard different versions of what the end times look like. Maybe you were like me and you grew up reading the Left Behind book series. Uh, so you have a very factual knowledge of what the Antichrist is. Uh, spoiler alert, it's actually a fiction book. So don't take that as the Bible. Um, we're jumping into the second half of this chapter, and it's really important that we remember, or we try and remember, everything that's been preached up to this point, because uh, John, you know, it wasn't like a week in between John writing, like, the first paragraph in the letter of John, and then the next paragraph. Like, he sat down, and he wrote it probably in, like, half an hour and sent it off. And so we need to always remember that we're, we're building upon the previous weeks. And so we get to this second part, and uh, as Pastor Jeremy's been saying, you know, sometimes you sit down with your grandparents, you just want to go out on the lake, you want to do something, and you're like, oh, do I really have to sit here and listen? And then, like, sometimes they say something that's just, like, it, it catches your attention, you're like, whoa, like, they're clearly from a different generation than I am, I can't believe they just said that. And so that's kind of what John does here. You know, he's, he's talking about loving each other. He's talking about abiding in Christ. He's talking about all of these things. And then all of a sudden, he takes a sharp right, and he says, he starts talking about the Antichrist and the end times. And I think when I was reading through this, and when probably any time other than when I was told that I had to preach about it, I probably got to this part, and I, like, like I was like, yeah, like, I'm reading through it, but, I like, I'm kind of rolling my eyes and being like, yeah, I'll deal with that later. Like, I don't have to think about that right now. And I think sometimes uh, we actually, as, as just not as Christians, just as people, we have the tendency to do this. When we hear something that seems slightly different from what our worldview is, we kind of just like sort of listen to it, but like we kind of let it go in one ear out the next. And I think this is actually like a skill that we've developed. Uh, in, in 2023, we are experiencing more advertising more like spamming, Insta like when Instagram started, there was no ads. Like I can't even imagine a day when there was no ads on Instagram. Now, it's like every second post is an ad. And so we see all of these ads, we see all this advertising, we see all of these people on YouTube or on Facebook or at your workplace or whatever, and they have these crazy ideas. The internet has created crazy. And so we have all of these people telling us different things, and so it's kind of been a skill to tune out the things that, you know, if it's a little crazy, I'm just going to tune it out. Now, a few years ago, I, I think I may have told this story before, but a few years ago, if, if we didn't have the ability to tune out advertising, we would, like, just all be completely broke and probably not have houses. A few years ago, I was driving home uh, from school. I guess it was 10 years ago. Wow. Okay. Good night. Um... So I guess 10 years ago, like half my life ago, I was driving home from school, not half my life, okay, a third of my life ago. <sighs> Thanks a lot, Christy. Um, I was driving home from school, and I saw this sign on the side of the road, and it was a McDonald's sign, and it looked so good. And the sign was for a filet of fish now, I don't understand how they made this filet fish look so good, but I saw it, and I was like, wow, that like, actually looks kind of good. And then I kept on driving, and it was fine. I kind of like tuned it out. And the next day I went to school, there's another sign for filet fish 
And the next day, there was another sign for a filet of fish And after a week, I needed to have a filet of fish in my life. And so I drove to McDonald's, and if you know anything about my family, we never buy, we, we would never buy a filet of fish or a Big Mac because there's never coupons for those things. Pretty much it's the, the value menu only that you're allowed ordering off of. So I never had tried this filet of fish I'd never tried a premium burger at McDonald's up to this point. And, uh, and so I get to McDonald's, and I order a filet fish and I pull up to the till, and it's like $6, which was shocking to me. Now, like, the discount menu is $6, so I guess that was a good deal back then. Um, and I buy a filet fish and, like, you know, so, like, I drove forward a little bit after I got the filet fish and I literally, like, took a bite of it. And you know how there's, like, a garbage on the end of a drive-thru? I literally drove forward and threw it in the garbage and drove away. So I was absolutely, their, their advertising worked. And obviously, I had not developed in myself enough of an ability to tune out the noise. But I think a lot of us are very good at that now. We're very good at tuning out the noise of, of forgetting about the things that probably don't matter so much to us. And I can tell you probably, if you like a filet fish you like it, but everyone else, you won't like it. Um, but the early church had this problem, uh, had, had a problem. Pastor Jeremy spoke about it a few weeks ago. There was, there was a prevalent thought that was going through some of the early church, and it wasn't in the early church. It was people who started in the church and ha- had eventually left. It was called Gnosticism. Uh, and, and some scholars say that it might not have been Gnosticism. It was an early form of false Christianity. Either way, what that looked like, it was, it was a version of self-worship, of self-gratification, People were taking the parts of Christianity that suited them. They were editing out the rest of the things. They were taking the things that seemed good to them, and they were editing out all the things that were a little bit of a challenge, all the things that seemed a little bit hard or a little bit crazy to them, and they were creating their own version of Christianity. They were creating something that suited them. So when Grandpa John starts talking about the Antichrist, initially I think they're kind of rolling their eyes like, okay, what is he going to say? Like, this... You know, what is he talking about? And I think that as I read this verse and as I studied this verse, I realized that this is actually so relevant to our society today. It's so relevant to what's happening in the world today. Everywhere we look, we see people who want to accept everything, right? They, there's these, like, coexist signs everywhere, and it's like, every, like accept everything, accept everyone the way they are, and... Don't ever judge anyone, unless you're a Christian, then we can judge you all we want. And it's like this coexist peacefully thing, right? And to get real, I think that, I think a lot of probably our friends, and maybe even people in this room right now, we might be dealing with some of these struggles ourselves. We're trying to deal with what, what are the parts that we edit out? What are the parts that we keep? What are the things that we roll our eyes about and ignore? And what are the things that we try and keep and figure out. And so there's something that's happening uh, in 2023, and it's been happening for a while now, and it's called deconstruction. And deconstruction is when people are questioning their entire faith. And I think the Bible actually tells us that we should question things, that we should ask questions about thing, things, but that we're supposed to go to God and go to wise counsel and and allow the Bible to speak and to, to reconstruct us. There are things that we learned as kids that frankly, aren't really true in the Christian world, but there's also um, a lot more things that, that are true and that are good and that are great principles. 
And so people are deconstructing, and, and maybe you're in a place today where you're questioning what you believe. You're questioning, what are the things that I want to take from the Bible, and what are the things that I want to get rid of the Bible? And we start removing things that we were taught that we don't like or that we don't agree with or that we feel like, ah, this just doesn't feel like that good. And so we start editing out our, our, we start editing out the Bible. We start editing out the things that don't agree with us. And like I said, the internet's full of a lot of people with a lot of opinions. So if you want to find someone who agrees with you, you can absolutely do that. People will, will agree with you on everything. So when I was in Slovenia, um, the girls were missing me a lot. And so what my mom did is she had a great idea to print off some pictures of me and put them around the house. Now, I was thinking about this a lot more later, and I, was, I, I realized that it's very similar to when the Israelites made a golden calf. So, like, you know, a little bit sketchy, but it's okay. They're young. So, so she put these pictures of me up around the house, and the girls would see me and say, oh, dad, dad, or whatever. And it helped them kind of get through those two weeks. But what I noticed was that when I got home, they were still looking at these pictures of dad, dad. And the other night, I was giving Lucy a bath, and she was disobeying me. And so I said she was going to get a consequence. And she ran over to the picture of Dada and grabbed it and ran away from me looking at Dada, 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 asking for help from Dada. And I'm like, I'm right here. I'm the guy who's about to give you a consequence. And I was like, this is so messed up. And then I realized... That's actually exactly what we do. We read the Bible. We accept our relationship with Jesus. We start walking with Jesus. And then we start editing out those things that we don't like. And, and we wonder, you know, people say like, oh, this is what Jesus is like. And we wonder, oh, that's not what my version of Jesus is like. That's not what, you know, when, when I, like, Jesus is just like a, a genie to me. That's what he is to me. And we realize that we actually aren't believing in Jesus anymore. We're believing in a version of Jesus. We've actually made ourselves God. We've made our beliefs God. We've made the things that we value God. And we've put God on the second seat. And I hate to break it to you, but God doesn't go on the second seat. So John makes a clear distinction between being in the light and being blinded by darkness throughout this letter. And so... Up until this point, he's talking about being in the light, and, and this is when he takes that sharp right, and he starts talking about the Antichrist. He starts talking about those who have begun to walk in darkness. So we'll just break this down a little bit. Verses 18 to 19 says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. See, when John's talking about Antichrist here, he's not talking about like the Antichrist that he talks about in Revelation, not a big A Antichrist. He's talking about small A Antichrist. What he's really saying is he's talking about people who started out with the truth, who knew about Jesus, who knew about what God had done, and who took a turn and stopped believing in the truth. He's talking about people who have been deceived and who have created a picture of God in their mind that's not a real thing. 
And like I said, this heresy was something that was being dealt with in the early church. And it was specifically, uh, the thing that they were specifically dealing with in the early church was the rejection of Jesus as God. The Gnostics believed that, um, that the, the human soul was separate from the body, that the body was evil, that the, um, yeah, that the body was evil and that anything like, like anything physical in the world was evil. And so when Jesus came and he had a human body and he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead, they didn't like that story. They didn't like what that meant about the body. And so they, they denied, they believed that Jesus was there, but they denied that he was raised from the dead and that he took our sins on with him. And the interesting thing is that these people believed that they were enlightened, and I think a lot of the friends and the family that we might have or the people that we see on social media, they come across as enlightened. They've found out something more. It's not just the Bible. It's the Bible plus something. It's Jesus plus something. It's, or it's Jesus minus something in most cases. They've rejected who Jesus said that he was. And these people, they were leaving the church, but... But they weren't just leaving the church. They were trying to bring people down with them. They were trying to influence people within the church. And this is what John's warning against. He's saying, hey, beware of these antichrists. Beware of these people who knew the truth and turned from the truth and no longer live in the truth. Beware of these people who are teaching a false gospel. Beware of these people who are saying that Jesus came, but he didn't die and he wasn't risen from the grave. When I was in Slovenia, um, I had ice cream at least once a day, sometimes twice a day, and one time three times in a day. So it was a good trip. Um, and they call ice cream sladoled, and so I really like sladoled. And my favorite place was this place called Sladoled Yagoda, which is like strawberry, it's called strawberry ice cream. I never tried strawberry flavor there. Um, and we went there like all the time. And one of the last days we were there, there was a man who was uh, serving the ice cream. He was the owner of the shop, actually. And he started talking to us and asking us, like, what we were doing there. So we told him that we were helping out with the kids' camp and that we were missionaries. And he told us that he was Muslim. And we started talking, and, and you know, he was like, yeah, you know, like, I believe in Jesus. And, and uh, we believe, like, a lot, like, we believe the same things, pretty much. And I'm like, yeah, like, we believe some of the same things, for sure. Um but we don't believe all of the same things. And it was really cool, uh, but also interesting because he wanted to invite us to his house to have coffee. And so it was a great opportunity to be able to speak to him. Now, we had to go to the water park the next day, so we couldn't do that. Uh, but it was for the kids' camp. It wasn't just for, like, our relaxation. But we were talking with him about Jesus a little bit. And he believed in Jesus. But he didn't believe, and Muslims don't believe that Jesus died and was, was resurrected. And so there's, there's just this, you know, there's, these seem like sort of small things, but these are big things. It's, you start out in the truth, and you eventually take a little bit of a wrong turn, and you end up someplace completely different. Up to this point, John has been speaking about being strong in our faith and remaining in Christ. When we accept Christ, he becomes our cornerstone. He becomes the thing on which we build our lives. But sometimes I think that we say that Christ is our cornerstone, but we're building something that can't possibly be built on the cornerstone of Christ. We try and have Christ mold around us, but the reality is he only molds, he only allows us to mold to him. 
we're built upon him, and if the things that we want to build don't line up with him, it doesn't work. It's incongruous. So let's keep on reading verses 20 to 23. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Seems kind of obvious. No lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, when Jeremy gave me this, this verse, I was not stoked about it until I started reading it and realized he defines exactly what the Antichrist is. So I didn't have to figure it out for myself, which is great. But who is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is one who calls the truth, who calls a lie the truth, is one who denies the Father and only accepts Jesus, is one who denies the Trinity, one who denies that Jesus is the Christ and who denies that the Father and the Son are one. When you accept one, you're accepting both. You can't just have Jesus and not have the Father and vice versa. John 10, 30, years before he wrote this letter, he wrote the Gospel of John, and, it's, and verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. It's probably the shortest verse you'll ever hear a pastor say in church. I and the Father are one. See, I think Grandpa John is, is actually extremely refreshing because he brings this perspective that literally no other writer in the New Testament can bring. He brings this perspective because he's a grandpa. Now, it doesn't matter that he's a grandpa. The thing that matters is John was the person who became a Christian when Jesus was on earth. Christians didn't even like exist then, but he was a Christian before Christianity existed. And then Jesus died and was raised to heaven. And then John stayed the course. And he continued following Jesus one step at a time. He continued following after God. And this is important because, you know, sometimes you can look at Paul or you can look at Peter. You can look at all these other guys who were amazing, but they maybe lived till they were 40, maybe 50. John, he's, he's much older than that. He's been doing this day in and day out for year upon year upon year upon year. He has a perspective that no one else can talk about, living a long life following Jesus. See, he sees these problems of people who start out, they start strong, they start following after Jesus on the right path, but eventually they're deceived and they fall off. He's walked this straight and narrow road for decades, longer than anyone else. And this is one of those moments where you're, you're listening to a story and you're not really taking the person seriously and then you, you think about it and you're like, whoa, like this guy, he actually has something to say to me. Like there's actually something important that I can learn from this guy. He's been doing this a lot longer than I has. He's not just some old guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. He's done it. He's walked the walk. He's not just talking. He's, he's already walked the walk. And so in a world where we face people who are deceived, who have taken the truth and who have skewed it and to make it their own version of Christianity, when, we, when we're in this world of social media and just unfiltered truth, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth, when we live in that world or when this early church lived in this world where people were denying Christ's resurrection, what was John's encouragement for them? 
What was John saying? How do we deal with this, these antichrists? How do we deal with this deception? How do we deal with these things? Well, I think there's two important areas that John brought encouragement to the early church and that I want to bring encouragement to us today. The first is know the truth, and the second is abide in Christ. 1 John 24 to 27. Notice how many times he says abide here. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So my first point today is know the truth. Know the truth. Pastor Jeremy and uh, Larry have, have spoke the last few weeks so well uh, about what that means, about following Christ, about going after Christ with all that we have, about not allowing sin to tangle us and to bring us down. We've learned to love God and love our neighbors. We flee from sin and we, are, we do our best to be like Christ. We allow God's grace to lift us up and we know that we have an advocate who speaks on our behalf. And all of these things are a part of the truth. Absolutely. But the reality is, is today, I couldn't possibly tell you all of the truth in the Bible in one sermon. If I tried, we would be here for the rest of the summer. And we all have stuff to do. The Bible is full of God's truth. The Bible is full of things that God wants us to know about him, about people, and about how we're supposed to interact with the world. I think that we need to understand a lot more with our heads in this day and age. In 2023, I hate to say it, but I think we actually have to learn what we believe. I believe deconstruction is happening because we tell people what to believe and not why we believe it. We tell people this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but we don't show them what the Bible has to say about it. And so people are disconnected. They have, they have a version of the truth, but they're disconnected from the foundation of that. And I hate, I, I got to say, I kind of hate this reality because it puts onus on me. It puts onus on me to learn and to study and to figure out what the Bible says. It puts onus on me to, to, to do my personal devotions and, and it puts onus on me to make sure that I actually know what I'm talking about. I think lots of people are creating their own version of God because they never knew who God was in the first place. It's one thing to learn from your parents but it's another to learn for yourself. People are deconstructing because they believe they have been lied to or because they don't know what the Bible actually says. People say they are Christians while being far from it because they don't know who God is or how he has revealed himself in the Bible. And I hate to say it, and I don't like to say it, but if all of your Bible knowledge and knowledge of God and knowledge of who God is comes from listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning while trying to take care of your kids and respond to texts and think about what's happening after church, or maybe you just listen very attentively. That's great. But I think that we might be missing a lot of what God wants to teach us. We say this all the time on Sunday mornings that 
Church isn't over. Like, we, we go out from here, and we should be doing our own study. We should be doing, it's, it's not like, it's not Seb's relationship with God that he's bestowing upon you. It's not Pastor Jeremy's relationship with God that he's bestowing upon you. We all have a responsibility to have a relationship with God. And not just a relationship where we say, like, yeah, God's my home dog. Like, yeah, cool guy. Like, a relationship where we actually know who he is. I've been married to Haley for six years, I think. I don't even know. 2017, six years, and, uh, and there's still questions that I ask her that I've asked her 25 times. I know what the answer is, but I've forgotten it. I know who she is, I know what her story is, but sometimes we don't remember the, the facts about people's lives. We don't remember some things about people. It's the same when it comes to God. There are things we know about God. But if we're not constantly going back to him and saying, God, who are you? What does your word say you are? If I read the Bible one time when I was 12 and I didn't do it for the rest of my life, there's a lot I would be missing about who God is. 1 John 26 to 27. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. Now this part, no pastor wants to preach. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. When I read this, I was like, I can't possibly say this on a Sunday morning. Like, people are coming to church to be taught about Christ. Like, I can't possibly say, like, you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. But we can't divorce this portion of the Scripture from what we read earlier. It said that the Antichrists have come, and we know that they are not of us because they have left us. They have left the church. The Antichrists have come, and they knew what the truth was, and they were deceived, and they walked away from the truth, and they left the church. They left the fellowship of believers. They left other believers to speak what they wanted to speak. So is John saying, don't come to church? No, that is not what John is saying. He is saying... Part of being a Christian is coming to church and is learning, but he's also saying the onus is on you. It's not for a pastor to tell you everything that you need to know. The onus is on you. Is what is preached on a Sunday good? Absolutely. Is being part of a church crucial to walking with Jesus? Yes. But our walk doesn't end when the sermon does. John is saying, let what you learned from the beginning abide in you. Let what you learned from the beginning abide abide in you. Let the truth of what you have learned abide in you, but don't stop there. Find good, tested resources that can help you grow your walk with God. When John is talking about not needing teachers, he's not talking about a church. He's talking about these Gnostics who are preaching their false gospel. But John is also saying it's not the responsibility of the church or anything external to teach you about God and what the Bible says. He's saying this is your responsibility. But he doesn't just, God is good and he doesn't just leave it at our responsibility. He gives us his Holy Spirit to partner with us to help us distinguish between the truth and between lies. To convict us, to convict us and to show us what is true and what is not. The reality is, is when it comes to the Bible... We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scripture for us. He is our filter as we're reading through Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 12 says, No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, 
not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. What John is saying here is he's saying to test everything. Test everything you hear. Don't just take things at face value, but bring them to God. Read your Bible and test things. Every time I come up here to preach, every time Pastor Jeremy comes up here or anyone comes up here to preach, we do our absolute best to try and bring you what we believe God is speaking to you and speaking to us. We try to bring our absolute best to try and read through Scripture and do our study and make sure we're, we're covering all bases. But the reality is, is that we're humans. And sometimes we might miss something. And sometimes there's something that we might emphasize a little bit more that maybe doesn't need to be emphasized. Sometimes, sometimes we, we totally nail it and we hit it out of the park. But I know for myself that what John is saying here is actually like, it, it would be a huge relief to know that Christians are doing what John's saying here. It'd be a huge relief to know that after I preach a word like this, or after Jeremy preaches on a Sunday morning, that we take those notes that we have, and we bring them home, and we study the scripture, and we say, oh, you know what? Seb said that crazy thing about McDonald's, and that wasn't true. Like, we can't possibly believe that. Or probably something even more important. We take these things and we test them. We bring them to God and we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and to work through us. And even if we say everything perfectly right on a Sunday morning, how much more will God use that word if you take that and you bring it home and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and you wrestle with these words and you struggle through them and you try and see what God do you have for me? How does this apply to my life? How does this apply to my situation? How does this apply to my family? Man, we will grow so much further and deeper. When someone asks you a question about the Bible or Jesus, sometimes the questions are really hard, to be honest, and it's really hard to answer. But I know for myself, sometimes the reality is I just didn't put in the work to find out what the answer was in advance. I decided to take the easy road and listen to a sermon on Sunday or half listen to a sermon on Sunday, do nothing else with that throughout the week, and go on my life. And so when someone asks me a question, I don't have an answer for them. I would challenge us, church, this morning, as John challenges these readers, take responsibility for your own faith. Take responsibility for learning who God is and what the Bible says. Take responsibility and allow God to mold you and work through you. But it doesn't just end with that. It doesn't just end with head knowledge, because head knowledge is great. But the second half of what John is saying, and we heard it a million times in that, in that verse, is abide, that we need to abide in Christ. When I was reading through this, I felt like I was in really good company, uh, because me and Pastor Brett were talking earlier this week, or not earlier this week, a few weeks ago, and uh, I was like, Brett, do you feel like every single time you preach, you say the same thing? Like, do you feel like you're always, like, banging the same hammer over and over again? It's like you're talking about, like, you know, Genesis 1-1, or you're talking about John 3-16, but you're always talking about the same thing? And he's like, yeah, honestly, sometimes it, it does feel like that. And as I'm reading through the books of John, and I'm reading through the letters of John, and the gospel of John, one of the things I notice is that he has this word that comes back over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't even know what this word means. And this word is abide. 
abide, abide. He says this so many times. He doesn't just say this in his letters when he's older. He says this when he's younger. He has this, he has this thing that he's hitting over and over again that he wants people to know, abide in Christ, abide in Christ. So Larry and, and Jeremy both have been pulling out the Greek the last few weeks, so I felt like I had to pull out at least one Greek word. So abide is the Greek word meno. Can everyone say, turn to your neighbor and say meno. Perfect. You nailed that. It's, if a Greek scholar was here, he'd say that you guys nailed that. Um, so one of the interesting words about, oh, uh, things about abide is that John is the only person who uses this word in the New Testament. There's no other person who uses the word abide. It's found once in Hebrews, but a different version of it, and once in 2 uh, Corinthians. And so, obviously, John has, like, he likes this word. He really likes this word. And so what does abide mean? Well, John uses it 41 times in the letters that he writes in his gospel. And the definition is to remain, to stay, to reside. To remain, to stay, and to reside. I so appreciated what Larry said last week about spending time with God. Or, sorry, two weeks ago about spending time with God. And what he was talking about was abiding. What he was talking about was getting into God's presence and allowing God to mold and to transform us, to simply spend time with God. Sometimes that's intentional time, and I think that we actually probably need to have more intentional time in prayer. But there's also the daily life that we invite God into, that we allow God to abide in us, his Holy Spirit living and moving through us. So what does abiding in Jesus actually mean? What does it mean? Sometimes we say these words like, oh, this is a Greek word, meno, and it means abide, and it means to like remain. Like, what does that actually mean to my daily life? Well, John 15, 1 to 8, this is decades before he wrote 1 John, the Gospel of John, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father's will is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I think this is kind of the crux of what I'm, and what John is saying today. We are to abide in Christ. At the end of the day, we're going to see this word abide pop up a lot more as we continue our study through John. But abiding in Christ means that he is where we get our sustenance from, that he is the one who we live out of. Like Colossians 3 is my favorite uh, chapter in the Bible, probably because I memorized it when I was in Bible college. And it always comes back over and over again. And it says that we've been crucified with Christ. And since we've been crucified... We are dead with Christ, but he has raised us from the dead with him. And as he's seated on the right hand of God, he has raised us with him. In other words, we are abiding with him. We, we have taken our lives and we've said our lives aren't our own anymore. 
Our lives aren't our own anymore. We're giving our lives to Christ and we're dying to ourselves. But Christ raises us back and he allows us to live with him. He allows us to get all that we need from him. But he wants us to walk out from his presence. He wants us to rest in him. He wants us to remain, to stay. So as we walk with Christ, we learn to abide in him, to rest in him, to reside in him. And we realize that our lives aren't our own anymore. So how do we know we are about abiding in Christ? Or I guess if we go back to my not title, how do we know that we're not the Antichrist? Well, we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What that means is that we start to look more like Jesus every single day. I might not look exactly like Jesus. I will probably never look just like Jesus looked. I will never be as perfect as Jesus was. But I can be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. I can look more like him tomorrow than I do today. Are we walking the way that God walked? Is Christ our standard, our cornerstone? Is he the one that we're building our lives on? Or do we start building our lives on him and there's other things that are important. There's things that we kind of want to build our lives on instead of Christ. I want to challenge us all today. Do we know what we believe? Do you know what you believe? When someone comes and asks you a question about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about God, what he says that he is, do you know what you believe? When someone's coming to ask us, they could have asked the internet. They chose to ask you because they want to know how he relates to you. They want to know what he's saying to you and how he's spoken to you and what your experience is with him. But not just what your experience is, but who he says he is. Because sometimes Pentecostals love to go off of experience. Oh, God healed me from this thing. Well, who is God? Well, like he's the guy who healed me from this thing. Okay, it sounds like he's like a genie that gives you what you want. No, that's not who God is. Yes, he does heal. But he's so much more than that. Sometimes I know for myself, I've given myself the out by quoting Matthew 10 that says that when we come in front of kings and rulers that God will give us the words that we need to say and and that we don't have to worry about it. And we don't have to worry about it, but like John is saying here, I challenge you, take your own faith seriously. Learn what you believe. And learn what the Bible says. When I was in Bible college, uh, we learned about Pentecostal history. And it's sort of like really sad, actually. Um, but there's this story about like when the Azusa Street um, infilling of the Holy Spirit happened and people started speaking in tongues and it was like kind of going all around, all across like, you know, the Toronto airport movement and the states. People were being filled with uh, the Spirit and speaking in tongues and a lot of these people actually thought they were speaking other languages. And so they, they were like, okay, like this gift is to go to other countries and to preach the gospel. And so there, there were actually a bunch of stories of early Pentecostal missionaries like selling all their stuff and going to like Africa and going to barbaric tribes and speaking in tongues, thinking that they were talking their language. And then, like, turns out they just got, like, the earliest version of Skip the Dishes in the barbarian tribes. They, they gave themselves to these... To the, <laughs> they gave themselves to these barbarians. They weren't actually speaking their language. And, 
absolutely God can use tongues to speak in other language. Absolutely God can, you know, I, I've talked to people who have had this happen to them. God is able to do all of these things. I don't want to minimize that. But I think that if these early Pentecostals had maybe spent some time studying the language, they might have been a little bit more effective in their missions. And I think for us, our challenge is maybe spending a little bit more time learning what we believe and allowing God and the Holy Spirit to grow us so we know what we believe when we get to our mission at our work, at our homes. And I want to encourage you, abide, 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 abide. I don't think it's an accident that John says abide so many times. He isn't a grandpa who's just losing it. He understands the importance. It's a constant reminder, remain, stay, reside. If any of you are like me, as you've grown up and you've walked with God, sometimes it feels like you, you should have these like crazy like, moments with God where you're like tearing up and like, you know, you're like slain in the spirit or whatever. Like you feel like you need to have these camp moments. And sometimes you're like desperate for like one of those camp moments. You're like, God, I just need to like experience you. I just need to like have you like just absolutely like rock my whole world. And that's great. But I think what Grandpa John is saying here is it's not actually a crazy explosive moment that's going to keep you on the path with God. What's going to keep you on the path with God is learning to abide, to abide, to abide, to remain, to stay, to reside, to allow God to change you on the micro level every single day. A little course correction here, a little course correction there, a little bit of the Holy Spirit directing you and drawing you. And as you abide, God comes along and he grows you and he matures you and maybe when you're 80, you can be like Grandpa John and say, abide. What's the key to following Jesus? What's the key when the heresies come? What's the key when my friends and my family are saying that, like, I am ridiculous or that, you know, I, wanna, I should just keep this part of Christianity? What is the key? Abide. Rest in God. Allow him to speak to you and to be your direction. Ephesians 4.14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. Church, I want to, I want to encourage you. Abide in Christ and learn what you believe. I know today wasn't the most like hilarious sermon you've ever heard, but I hope that it remains with you. I hope that what John is saying in this letter remains with you and that you learn to go to God to learn what you actually believe and what the Bible says. We remember that we only can know God through his self-revelation in Scripture. So let's go to the Word. Let's allow him to change us. Let's learn what we need to learn in our heads, but then let's remain in Christ and abide in him and allow him to transform us. Amen? Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.